Sunday, April the 16th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Yeah, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. I'd really like us to uh, consider the concept of covenant and to do so not merely as a cerebral study, but really in order that we can grasp the extraordinary relevance to us as Christ followers today. I I want us to discover how an understanding of covenant can fundamentally deepen our roots in Christ and to increase our knowledge and appreciation of the faithfulness and the never-ending love of God. Covenants are all about promise and promises. Do you know, I'm very slow at making promises. You will very rarely, if ever, hear me use the word in everyday language. And that's because I've committed merely to two promises, to be faithful to God and to be faithful to my wife. So you'll never actually hear me say, oh, I promise I'll be there by six o'clock, or I promise I won't forget. Because promise is a, is a covenant word, something of massive depth and of practical holiness. Promise is one of several covenant words that really we tend to use very flippantly in everyday language these days, and which I pray can be redeemed and renewed even through our conversation this morning. So, firstly, I want us to look at the nature of covenant, the process of covenant making. Because if two people or parties or even nations made covenant with one another. What did this actually entail? What did it commit them to? And how did they go about it? So firstly, we'll look into the Old Testament because stretching right back to early Genesis, a covenant was a binding agreement, a a promise that two people or parties would make with one another in order to protect and to support and to defend one another, come what may. The two parties or people who wanted to commit themselves to a covenant friendship, they would exchange vows, and they would symbolize this in certain traditionally understood and established ways. Now, these symbols included the following. First, they would exchange their clothes and weapons All my wealth, all my power, all my influence, all my authority is yours. And you might remember uh, David and Jonathan did this, 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, first few verses. 
And then they would exchange or become known by each other's names. As in the traditional uh, British marriage ceremony or covenant, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, we agree to share the same name. So David bar Jonathan, Jonathan bar David, son of or belonging to. In covenant, it was saying my identity, my status becomes bound with yours. Amazing. And then they would both cut their, their hand or their wrist and they would clasp them together. Mingling the blood, my soul, my lifeblood. And as time went by, the wounds would heal, but the scars from the wound would remain forever as a covenant seal. So the expression they used to use, and you might have heard this, is to cut a covenant. Then they would share a covenant meal, a feast. In Hebrew, it's a mishteh, and it often included bread and wine, sometimes meat as well. So, for example, Isaac did this with Abimelech, Genesis 26. And then when, when Laban and Jacob made covenant together, have I got that one up there as well? Okay. In Genesis 31, they set up stones as a pillar. This was another sign. This was a memorial or the place of covenant making. Sometimes the name of the place was changed and an enduring memorial was set up. And there's more. Next, they would prepare a sacrifice. They would cut each animal in two and they would lay out the pieces in two separate places. And then they would walk between them, the pieces in a figure of eight, symbolizing infinity. And in these ways, these many different recognized traditional ways, a covenant friendship was formed established and bound. What did it say? All my wealth, all my power, all my influence, all my authority, all my identity, all my status, my soul, my lifeblood, it's yours and yours is mine. It was massive. It was forever It was everlasting. So we see it in the relationship between David and Jonathan. 1 Samuel 18 uh, says that Jonathan became one spirit with David. He loved him as himself. And as we said, he took off his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, his belt. You read that in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 4. And gave them all to David, every one of them. And then he summarized covenant perfectly in ten simple words. 
on Samuel 20, he said, whatever you want me to do for you, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. In other words, whenever you are in need, I have laid down all my options but to serve you in an activity of compassion. Shall I say that again? Whenever you are in need, I have laid down, I've chosen to lay down all my options but to serve you in activity of compassion. In 1 Samuel 20, later on, they say, The Lord is witness between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants, forever. So, how do you express covenant, even after, in this case, Jonathan had died? You might remember 2 Samuel and chapter 9, where David said one day, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul, Jonathan's household, with whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And you might remember, they found someone. It was Jonathan's son. It was Mephibosheth. There's another name for you. We should have said that one in the reading as well. Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And he, he, uh, he was Jonathan's son and he was lame. And you remember the story David brought him into his household and he lived with him and sat at his table. Um, but can you see that word, another very simple word that we use quite flippantly or easily or very lightly in present-day English language? Is there anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Kindness, loving kindness. In Hebrew it's chesed or chesed or chesed. It was multi-generational, loaded with covenant. And this was sometimes called the covenant blessing or promises. Now, usually we read of men making covenant together in the Old Testament, but not exclusively. In the so beautiful, tender book of Ruth, chapter 1, we read that when Naomi was widowed, and decided to move back to Judah, her daughter-in-law Ruth clung to her and pleaded with Naomi, saying, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is covenant talk. The primary expression used to describe those in a covenant relationship was another word that we use so simply, so trivially in, in present-day English. It was friends. 2 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan said to, do, to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship 
with each other in the name of the Lord. Proverbs 24, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, faithful even are the wounds of a friend. The acheb is just friendship, is, 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 is love in Hebrew really. So in the Bible, friendship is a covenant concept, not merely a like on social media. Uh, those of you who are Russian speakers, you know, the drug, the druch in Russian or Ukrainian, it, it has so much more weight. You know, you don't have many of them. don't have 30,000 ticks on your social media. These are just some of the ways that covenant was made and expressed between people or parties or nations in Old Testament times. But hang on a minute. All of that relates to horizontal relationships, person to person. Other than him being a witness to human covenants, what's all this got to do with God? Well, once we know what covenant actually meant and how it was established, Genesis 15, 16, 17 makes so much more sense. I wonder if you'd look it up for me. If you got to, do you switch on your Bibles? Some of us remember the days when we used to say turn in your Bibles. Switch on your Bibles to Genesis 15. Because here, amazingly, we find a whole new depth and dimension of covenant. Here, extraordinarily, God himself made covenant with man. You remember the context of Genesis 12, God's call to Abram to leave his country in ancient Babylon. I will make you a great nation. He moved north to Haran, then across and down a bit to Canaan. Then there was a famine. He went down to Egypt. You remember the separation from Lot, his relative. Then he had to go and rescue Lot. Then he had this meeting with Melchizedek, who bit of mystery around there, but could even have been some angelic or even a, a manifestation of Jesus from the Old Testament. And then so we come to Genesis chapter 15. And straight away we see it. We see the exchange of weapons. God said, I am your shield. All my wealth, all my power, all my influence, all my authority is yours. And then you see the exchange or the becoming known by each other's names. This is actually chapter 17, verse 5. You see it again, 17, verse 15. Yahweh himself breathed on them and actually gave Abram and Sarai his name. Entwined with theirs, Abram became Abraham. Eh? Sarai became Sarah. The God of heaven, Yahweh, actually gave them his identity. And it happened both ways round because the expression, the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham, appears at least 22 times throughout the scripture. 
God was prepared to call himself by the name of the one with whom he entered covenant. And then we see the covenant sacrifice where the blood was shed. My soul, my lifeblood is yours. A sacrifice was prepared with the meat offering laid out in two separate places in preparation for the covenant parties to walk between the pieces. This infinity picture is laid out for us in Genesis 15 verses 9 and 10. A forever binding agreement between them. We'll come back to that one, but let's move on. We know that Abraham was called the friend of God. It wasn't just a chummy expression. 2 Chronicles 20, I think that was Jehoshaphat, wasn't it? And Isaiah 41, Isaiah referred to God, uh, to Abraham as the friend of God. Covenant talk. Now, this covenant actually had three aspects to it. It had the promise of land, the promise of the descendants, and the one that means most to us if we are Gentiles this morning, the promise that God would bring the opportunity of blessing and redemption to all mankind. And what's more, we see from Genesis 17 again that this was an everlasting covenant. So extraordinarily... God entered into covenant with Abraham in exactly the same way as a man would enter covenant with man. Except for one huge difference. The covenant between God and Abraham had this one massive difference. This was to be what we call an unequal covenant. And in order to see this together, I want us to read chapter 15 of Genesis. It's on the screen there as well. So as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain... We could have read a little bit earlier. Abram said he believed God, reckoned to him as righteousness. But even after that, he said, how do I know? Have you ever felt that as someone who's given their life to God already? And then you want to go back to God and said, I believe in you, but how do I know? This is exactly what's happening in Abram's relationship as he entered covenant with God and God with him. And God at this moment of time said, no for certain. And then went on to detail, 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, be enslaved and mistreated there, etc. Goes on to say in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. And uh, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, A smoking firepot with a blaze, blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. When Abram was in a deep, deep sleep, this manifestation of God, the presence of God himself, 
in the form of a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land, etc. This was the un- unilateral, unconditional, unquestionable, unequal covenant. The deep sleep, the smoking firepot, the blazing torch. How can I know? cried Abram. Know for certain, said the Lord. So God's love for us comes in the form of an utterly unequal new covenant. New covenant means new kind or type, not just more recent. So God sacrificed his son, spotless lamb, so that we can receive him, so that we can come into an everlasting, unequal covenant relationship with him. Unequal because there is Nothing else that we can do, for he has done it all. The deep sleep, the smoking fire pot, blazing torch. I normally do this session as a, like in a training sense, from given probably an hour, so I'd normally get you to split into groups at this point, but we'll, we'll summarize it in some way as we reflect on this. Let's consider how these examples of covenant are expressed in the new covenant we now share in Jesus. Think about the protection and the provision that Jesus gives us. All his resources, all his authority, all his wealth, all his influence is ours because of the new covenant. So think maybe about the parable that Jesus taught about the one we tend to call the prodigal or wasteful son. I think it's better described as the the covenant father, but hey, it's in Luke 15. Quick, says the father, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and then found. Can you see that's dripping with covenant talk? You'd miss it if you didn't realize what covenant was all about. And then secondly, think about the covenant meal. <laughs> Luke 22, after supper, he took the cup, said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So think about the blood that was shared. The blood of Jesus is absolutely central in New Testament teaching on atonement, on forgiveness, on justification, on redemption, on reconciliation, on holiness, on freedom from sin. We could spend a long time on this. Think about the scars on his hand. Remember he came up to Thomas and said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand, put it in my side. Stop doubting. You are in covenant with me. Stop doubting and believe. Think about his kindness. Did you not know, said Paul, it was the kindness of God, not his wagging finger. It was the kindness of God that led you to repentance. Think about it being a new covenant. Remember, new covenant in kind or type, not just more recent. Hebrews 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. 
what is obsolete is outdated and will soon disappear. Think about what he said to his disciples about calling us friends. I spent a whole weekend once with a church purely talking under the expression of friends. But today, just in two minutes, in John 15, Jesus said, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than they lay their life down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. Was Jesus just being chummy? Or was this covenant talk? And think about him laying down all his rights, if you like, all his options as to whether he would love and protect us all or not for the joy that was set before him. Jesus said, I only ever do what my father tells me to do. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. He'd laid down all his options but entered into the Father's covenant with mankind in obedience to his Father. Think about the everlasting nature of his love. What did Jesus say? Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And think about the utterly unequal nature of the new covenant. Now there's nothing more that we can do, for he has done it all. All these things we would miss, we would think they were incidental, we would think they, you know, were sort of Jesus chatting with his disciples or sharing a few things. This is covenant. It is utterly fundamental. I wonder, musicians, would you come? Because I would actually like to pray together now, perhaps a bit of music. I wonder if you'd pray with me. Because really there are, in my mind this morning, two very big outcomes or consequences of covenant. And I think we can, we'll do this in, in prayer rather than me talking, if you like, or talking to God. So my dear Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry for the times that I've reduced you to the fickle and volatile shape of my emotions, as though this was the basis of your love for me, as though your love just blows backwards and forwards with the wind, as though it's some mere easily broken work contract, as though you've forgotten your eternal covenant or have somehow changed your mind about me. Oh, covenant God of Abraham, I repent. I hear you say to me today as you did to Abraham long ago, know for certain. And as I sacrifice my life to you again today, laying it down in brokenness, I, I believe, I sense, I 
dare to imagine, to visualize you walking right now between the pieces of my life. Infinity of love, smoking fire pot, blazing torch, cleansing, purifying, pruning, refining, molding me and filling me with your Holy Spirit. And what's more, in the light of all this, I can see now that as I am in covenant with you, and my brothers and sisters are in covenant with you, that in Christ, and whether I like it or not, we are in covenant with one another. And covenant means that together we've laid down all our options but to love and serve one another, just as Jesus commanded us to do. When he said, love one another, as I have loved you with covenant love, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Will you redeem, will you strengthen the covenant concepts of friendship and of kindness and of love and of promise in me today, in my relationships and in my conversations so that in contrast with the trivial ways that they are used all around me, will you help me to use these words with the weight and the reverence and the respect they deserve. In Jesus' name.